Hey everyone, this is Cameron from Renegade Animation on RenegadePopCulture.com. If you like what we do, please give us a like, a share, and a follow on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. We are everywhere. Also, if you can't, consider supporting our Patreon at patreon.com slash renegadepopculture. That way, we can keep doing what we love, and that's talking about animation. And now, on with the show. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host for this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And today, we've got a little bit of something for everyone. We've got reviews for Chicken Run. Dawn of the Nugget, and A Merry Little Batman. But first, we also have, it's been a while since we've done one of these, we got an indie spotlight, this time talking about the pilot for Godspeed from Olin Rogers. Yeah, this is the new pilot from the creator of Final Space. And, oh man, it, like it just came out like maybe a week or so ago. And the plan is essentially... Like, they released a pilot on YouTube, and they've also launched a Kickstarter for Godspeed to make more of it. And they've recently, probably within hours of the Kickstarter launching, made the funding goal of what it needed to do. And now it's hopefully going for more episodes by having a stretch goal that's at about $600,000 because a lot of animation fans don't seem to quite get this. Animation takes a lot of time, no matter if it's 2D, CGI, or stop motion, and a lot of money, which is something that you know people like Zaslav and anyone else who is running a entertainment studio hates to hear because... <laughs> This takes time and money, y'all. You can't just rush it out within a day and hope to recoup your costs and what have you. Let's talk about the plot a little for this one. Godspeed follows the journey of Iris, a young woman and her adorable karaoke bot sidekick named Bowie. Love that name. As they navigate the desolate landscape and abandoned homes of their crumbling world. Her path takes an unexpected turn when they stumble upon a mysterious broadcast that holds the key to their escape. To follow the message, she must survive a planet-ending storm. The cast will include the voices of Troy Baker, Claudia Black, Bryce Charles, Kati Galloway, and Olin Rogers himself. And surprise reveal of the AI on the ship being voiced by Tom Kenny. Something that I've been really hopeful for in the animation scene at least within the indie animation scene is the fact that there needs to be variety among its selection of shows and pilots that are in production we already have a has-been hotel and a hell of a boss we already have the amazing digital circus i want to see the indie scene grow and not just feel it has to stay in one box because something that's kind of bugging me right now through a lot of the indie love that I keep seeing a lot of you audience goers who are trying to be supportive of indie animation are not showing up for everything let's just get that out of the way first it feels like fans are very selective about what they choose to support and 
on the one hand, that may be fine if like you're only aware of one individual project, but if you want indie animation to be the future, you have to be there for all of it. And not all of it should be like dark, edgy comedies that are doing the thing where there's something else going on much deeper under the surface of the show. And not saying that's a bad way to make a show. It's obviously worked for hell of a boss and is why the amazing digital circus is so popular. But I want to see something else. And thankfully, there are a lot of indie pilots that are coming out that are doing more like Godspeed, where we have a young woman trying to survive a hellscaped planet while also reconnecting with people that are close to her to talk about Olin Rogers and his work. I was always a little mixed on final space. I thought it did a lot of really cool things and the art style was a lot of fun. I did not like the main character at first. He got better as time went on. And then just in general, I found Final Space to be more mixed than amazing. But that doesn't really matter compared to the fact that Olin Rogers got his show screwed over. Yep. Like, there is no other way to say it. Final Space got screwed over because of the merger and Zaslav being the worst person on the planet Earth in the world of entertainment. I love the visual look for Godspeed. It reminds me of the character designer from Wendell and Wild, who did like illustrations for magazines. It has a cool angular design to everything. And the mystery of what is going on is also like eye catching. I want to know the connection between all these characters. Like, I want to know who that mysterious bearded man is. I want to know why this cat man is interested in our main character. And something that I've liked about Olin Rogers and his work, while the comedy was not always hitting for me, like on a vibe level, he did want to go the distance with talking about grief and loss, guilt on top of all that. And he does that again very well here. I like the main characters here. I love Iris and Bowie is, for now, like at the right level of annoying. Like he's not too much. He does a great job of like walking that fine line between annoying and just infectious. I like the bond that he has with Iris throughout this thing. Like, she's strong, she's confident, she is vulnerable, and when she encounters that older woman, like, in that house, I forgot, did that turn out to be her mom, or? I don't think they specified who, it was just someone that she rescued at the launch site, but clearly they had some sort of history. Exactly, and... It captures just a very desolate atmosphere. Just the world is about to be wrecked by this giant storm. And 
they have to find hope in a very dark situation. It captures that atmosphere well. I love it. I think for right now, this is a very good pilot. I absolutely want to see more. And whether that means Olin Rogers gets back with a studio that's willing to not screw him over, or we'll have to see what happens because right now, indie animation is in a very blossoming stage of production. Because with what's going on right now with the whole animation industry, with the layoffs, no projects getting greenlit, and the threat of AI to take over jobs, like indie could be a good alternative if only it didn't suffer from other major setbacks, which include the same amount of underpaid working conditions that the studios are screwing artists over with, and the fact that Again, these things cost money, whether you like or get annoyed with the fact that Vizzy Pop has to basically advertise almost every other day to every week about a sale of merchandise. That merchandise and those sales are going to help fund more episodes or other projects. Yeah, when you don't have the army of marketing teams the big studios have, you, the creator, have to put forth more effort towards that side of the business where if more of these independent projects start getting distributed by, like, say, A24 or Neon or even G-Kids, if they ever start breaking out into television, that's when they can kind of focus more on the creative side of things. When it's a solo operation, you're in charge of, like, everything. And that's why, like, I'm okay with people doing that or with Olin Rogers' case going to Kickstarter because for now, their funding goal was to, they make short videos and not just 24 to 30 minute episodes. Their goal is to make another episode by reaching the 600 grand funding goal. And that's going to have to happen, man. Like, if you want to see more of this, you have to support it. And if you can, donate to the Kickstarter. Granted that $50 first reward tier, even though it's like a great, like get the complete series on Blu-ray thing is like understandable. That's also a very big entry point. So if you want something, you'll have to do that. But you can also just throw in a few bucks and say like, hey, I can't afford to get a reward out of this, but I trust in what y'all are doing. And I hope that's the case with this one because we need to see more shows and pilots like Godspeed or oh, what was that new adult animated series that just dropped on Netflix like Carol in the End of the World? Y'all, you don't know how much I want to see more stuff like that because I know what I want. I know we make fun of people saying like, you say you know what you want, but then you actually don't. But for me, unlike a lot of people, I have a very clear idea of what i'm looking for and in general for a more nebulous term i just want to see stuff like this succeed because we need to be more supportive than ever with the animation industry and the people who work in animation instead of oh i don't know ignorantly bashing bento box because the animation from the pilot of has been hotel looks quote-unquote different as if like 
the visual look of a show doesn't absolutely change between the pilot and the main show when it gets put into production and such. Like, like today, I just saw some very nasty ignorance about the animation industry from people who don't even work in it, but they like to have a little cartoon avatar. I loved Godspeed. I think it's compelling. It's eerie. It's ominous. I love the mystery at hand. And I definitely want to see more of this sci-fi epic. Same. Really enjoyed this pilot. Definitely can't wait to see more. And I really hope that with 16 days left to go, that they are able to reach at least one or two of their stretch goals. Give them support, man. Just support indie animation like you actually mean it. Like, don't just say you do. Actually do it. Which, of course, is easier said than done because of financial reasons, but you gotta support it in some way, shape, or form. Or else. (laughs) We won't get more of this. And just go watch it, man. I am shocked that with all the love and support Final Space got... The pilot for Godspeed only has 140,000 views as of recording this podcast. Hmm. Like, man, punch those numbers up, man. Those are rookie numbers, like McConaughey would say. (laughs) Exactly. Like, I know everyone wants the next hell of a boss or has been or digital circus, but you need to be adventurous and supportive of it all. I mean, honestly, this is probably my favorite pilot next to the lackadaisy pilot that I saw. And, but for now, we must go and help out a few folks who have run afoul with Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nuggets. I can't believe it's been at least 23 years since Chicken Run has come out. I am that last scene of Matt Damon and Saving Private Ryan growing from young to old at an astronomical rate. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure I still have the first chicken run on VHS. I saw it when it was released in theaters because I was a huge fan of Wallace and Gromit and Aardman as a studio. It's not until later, of course, when you get older and wiser and are more aware of the things that Chicken Run did so well. Like, I wish there was a Best Animated Feature Oscar for... 2000 because there was some good stuff there there was chicken run and i think this was also the same year as the emperor's new groove and the road to el dorado like you could have easily done a top three for best animated feature that's actually not half bad of of a lineup the frustration of the oscars waiting until there was more quote-unquote competition and it's like man There's always been competition. Y'all have just never shown interest in it. (laughs) until Exactly. Until recently. It's like, oh, now you're interested. I was interested since way back then. It was amazing to rewatch Chicken Run back in October. To understand how it was the great escape, but with chickens. And how it was able to balance the typical amazing Aardman humor with a fairly dark world-building setup of the chickens in a prison camp and their threat of being turned into pies. Like, it's not 
that hard to make the connection of what the chickens and the camp are supposed to represent when you realize that it, it's inspired by the great escape. And the fact that I was able to get away with it back then was very impressive. I still get a huge kick out of the jokes from that movie. I love when a rocket is talking about like, I come from the land of the free and then the scientist chicken and goes like Scotland. No, <laughs> the U S of a, or when they realize how, how their goose is cooked figuratively and literally that Babs knits a noose. <laughs> that might be one of the darkest jokes that I've seen in a family film. It is shockingly dark, and I love it for that. I mean, that's the whole thing about Ardman in general. They have a great sense of humor with how they craft their jokes. Honestly, Babs was like the MVP of that movie. She had the best joke setup and punchlines. Like the whole, you're back from holiday. It's like, no, I was put in solitary confinement. Well, you know, it's always to be alone with your thoughts or when she thought she was about to die. I saw my whole life flash before my eyes. It was rather boring. I mean, of course, the whole thing of Mel Gibson playing Rocky is, of course, the thing that doesn't age well at all about the movie. No. But the whole movie itself was such a delight. I love that movie. I am such a huge fan of it again, having rewatched it again and... Just all the jokes, the writing, the animation, the tone, the story. It's all so good. And when they announced that they were making a sequel, it made sense. Like, I could absolutely see a sequel to Chicken Run. Because Ardman projects lend themselves very well to sequels. Because they're not one-off stories. I mean, maybe Early Man doesn't really have much potential for a sequel or follow-up. Not that they would touch it because it, you know, died at the box office. Unfortunately. Yeah. This is what happens when you come out around the same time as Black Panther, man. But at least the world of Chicken Run has enough creativity to it to see these characters again. Unfortunately for Chicken Run, there was some minor controversy with casting which is a real shame because why why was that the decision making for some of the casting and i hate talking about this because i don't want any of these new actors to be harassed please do not harass these actors because ardman made the decision to recast at the very least our two leads one of them was going to happen no matter what no way in hell were they going to bring back Mel Gibson for Rocky. But there was no real reason to recast Ginger, where she was played originally by Julia Sawala. Then they gave her role to Thandie Newton. And that's a shame because they were trying to be like, oh, we need a younger actor, even though they're technically around the same age. And... Julia's voice for Ginger was not all that different from then to now. So as much as I love Ardman, that was a real disappointment to hear that they were recasting her. Unless there's just something we don't know for the reason for recasting. It's just a shame. I'm trying to find some 
explanation, but other than she is now considered too old, I don't buy it. The ageism in Hollywood. It's like, man, some people are still good. It was the same issue I had when people were like, oh, what was it? The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder. It's like they brought back essentially every single cast member with maybe a change here and there for reasons, but everyone was just like, oh, Penny sounds too old now. And it's just like, I'm sorry that we all age and grow up. (laughs) I know, it's ridiculous. The director this time around is Sam Fell for Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nuggets. He has worked on stuff like Rex to Runt, Flushed Away, The Tale of Despero, was also a director for Paranorman. We pick up essentially a few years after the end of Chicken Run. The chickens are now isolated away on an island, far away from the touches of humankind. They now have a daughter, well, Ginger and Rocky do, named Molly, voiced by the great Bella Ramsey. And yes, we will get to Hilda's part three. Don't worry, we'll get to it because of course we will. And Molly is becoming more adventurous of the outside world and wants to know more about it while ginger is very much the protective mother and rocky is the protective father because of you know you have a little trauma from how (laughs) the last escape went you don't want to deal with that again one night molly escapes because she sees a truck that is delivering chickens to a brand new location where Ginger and her team, that includes Rocky, Babs, Bunty, Mac, and Fowler, along with the rat duo Nick and Fetcher, break in, get her daughter, and save all the chickens from an unknown new force who has gathered all the chickens there with this new fancy prison place. It was going to be tough to keep expectations at a reasonable area because this is a sequel that's come two decades plus later and a lot of people were for some reason thrown off by all the bright visual colors now that we have gone from the great escape to mission impossible slash james bond inspired visuals and settings i got to see this back in october at animationist film Unfortunately, I was not able to stay around for the Q&A because I had to literally go to another theater to go see Chicken for Linda, which is probably the best film for next year. I can't wait for y'all to see that. You know, it's like I was hoping for it to be good. I absolutely adored this movie. It's not the first film. Nothing's going to be the first film. But Mm -hmm. as a sequel that takes everything that was great about the first film and builds upon it, expands on the world and the characters, it's pretty darn good. Easily one of my favorite animated films of the year so far. I love this movie. I think one of the best things about it is the introduction of Bella Ramsey as Molly. Molly is pretty much just like a younger, spry version of Ginger, but still trying to find her own agency in the world yeah and that's when she escapes and then runs into a new chicken named frizzle voiced by josie cedric davies who is captivated and is wondering like 
Now, why can't I go with the rest of the chickens? Who doesn't want a bucket? It's like your whole life's dream to to sit down in a bucket. Who doesn't want that? I love the new additions to the cast. I love Frizzle. I wish we got to see a little more of her, but I understand this was more a Ginger and Molly movie. Though, one of the new additions I adored is Dr. Fry, the scientist in charge of this factory for the chickens, who's voiced by Nick Mohammed, who a lot of y'all would know from Ted Lasso. I just had a riot and a half following his character around. He is, yes, he is the goofier male counterpart to the spoilers for those who have not seen it. The return of Mrs. Tweedy, who is once again voiced by Miranda Richardson. One of my favorite jokes of this movie is the fact that he has three separate remotes to control the chickens. One to turn off the collars, another one to pick which one to control, and then a third one. And when we see the introduction of Reginald Smith, the owner of the Sir Eat-A-Lot chain of restaurants voiced by Peter Serafinowicz, who y'all would know from, uh, golly, a lot of things, like Darth Maul from The Phantom Menace. He's Pete in Shaun of the Dead. He's also in The Tick. That too. And I love that he asks, because it's such a universal joke, why are there three remotes? And even though Dr. Fry is the smartest one in the room, He's like, that's the thing. Nobody knows. <laughs> My theater, when I saw this back in October, laughed at that because it is so relatable. We have streaming th- items and devices and such that should have everything on them. But for some reason, you still have to have an additional remote or two just to do something else. I love the jokes in this movie. I think there's a lot of great visual jokes. My favorite has to be when they're breaking into the facility and they're doing the whole eye scan joke. And instead of just being like, oh, okay, that's this guy. They pull out a book called the employee iPad. And (laughs) it's just images of eyeballs to match up with the person at the gates. Even before that, when they're trying to use a camera to take a picture of the eye to fool the the scanner, that's a great setup before the the payoff. There are so many great moments in this movie where they sprinkle in like a load of visual dialogue gags. Babs is still extremely funny where they're like, we can't lose our heads. And then she's like, well, where should we place them? Or when Fowler is setting up the whole escape route. And, of course, this time he is voiced by David Bradley from, you know, Game of Thrones or Del Toro's Pinocchio. You would know him. I think he was also in Hot Fuzz as well. When he starts talking, he's like, "Uh, I'm not easily distracted. (laughs) The nerve of them to say that. And he looks over at his snail, and he starts going off about one of his war stories. And his snail, his expressions are so subtle, but they are oh no, I got myself trapped in a conversation with someone I don't want to talk to. And just starts slowly turning away 
while he's talking and starts just leaving or at the very least when you see them later he is like an inch or two away further from Fowler while Fowler is still talking this movie might be the funniest film of 2023 like this has been a killer year for comedies but this one might take away the most laughs that I've had at least from a consistent level of laughs I'm honestly jealous that you got to see this in theaters because I bet this would get a a ton of great laughs from like a shared audience oh this got so many laughs when I was at animation as film when they're planning the whole break-in sequence we're like this is the building babs is like oh wow it's a lot smaller than i expected you can tell mac who's voiced once again by lynn ferguson was ready to snap a little but she's like "Ah, thank you babs (laughs) or nick and fetcher still having great chemistry between one another they were also recast with romesh ragnathan and Daniel Mays, but you wouldn't know that they were recast. They did a great job continuing the roles of these two rats who bring the chicken stuff and do things like it's an impossible mission. Shouldn't that be the other way around? Or mm, I see or it's like, there. Or they kept the spirit of the movie. And one of the things that caught people's eyes when they were talking about this movie during the festival circuit was comparing it to Black Panther and Wakanda. And at first that raised a few eyebrows about like, what do you mean by that? What are you talking about? But they mean it in a sense of Ginger is protective of her family and her friends, that she doesn't want anyone to deal with the outside world or deal with what they've had to deal with. They've had to overcome. So they isolate themselves from the world. And then the whole story is about Ginger making sure that Molly knows that like the world's dangerous, but I don't want you to be cooped up here forever and that you need to learn and explore the world from the outside. And even though this doesn't have the dark drab color tones of the original, like I said, we've gone from... 40s World War II inspired settings to a 60s, 70s disco, brightly colored, psychedelic themes to everything. It's still pretty dark. There are dark moments in this movie, especially when taken into consideration the whole sanctuary fun area where all the chickens are in the lab comes off like a cult compound. It does. (laughs) When one of the chickens goes out to be tested because instead of doing pot pies, it's all chicken nuggets now. Seeing the chicken go up the escalator to like this happy music is so cult-like. I could not stop myself from laughing at that because it's so dark about what happens. Like this movie franchise for one reason or another is not afraid to show that they don't imply it. They just show it. They don't show, of course, the process of that one chicken game turned into nuggets. But still, you see the bucket of nuggets. I think it's because of brighter colors in this movie that those darker moments kind of hit a bit harder because you are kind of thrown off by by the colors and the textures of, of this new updated farm that they're now breaking into. 
it's a lot of fun. I love the creativity that they take with the gadgets and the plans that they set up with breaking in and doing everything from the guards, distracting the guards. When they end up in the corn silo, how they break out with all the popcorn. And For a movie that's about an hour 40 minutes, they jam-pack so much detail and visual gags and puns dialogue jokes, physical comedy. It's amazing what Ardman is always willing and is able to put into these projects that they make. And I never once felt like, because a lot of people are just like the whole, like, oh, why did we need this? Or I would be shocked if you came out of this movie grumpy or cynical about it, because this was like a crowd favorite at my festival. And from what, when all the people I talk to about it, a lot of people just love this movie. They make sure to use all the characters still. Like, they don't just, like, shove some characters to the background. What kind of helps about Ardman is that they keep their casts pretty contained. It's not like Illumination or DreamWorks, where they sometimes have too big of a cast and not everyone gets the spotlight. I get it that in the narrative of the film, Fowler is obviously older and not quite as agile as he used to be but even then he st- he still gets his moments to shine exactly like i thought one of the funniest moments was when the guards come up to babs bunty and mac and babs is the first one to charge in with those knitting needles and that joke at the beginning when she's just like oh congrats you two i made y'all a bike and they're like really and you see that she knitted a bike for for Molly. Oh, man, this movie is so funny. I could talk about the comedy and all the different jokes that pop in from time to time for hours. It's just that funny of a movie. I love Dr. Fry getting the guy who owns the Sir Eats-A-Lot his name wrong. Where he's just like, the Sir Eats-A-Lot. And Reginald is just like, it's the name of the company. That's not my name. If you look in the background, like near the end when they're breaking out with a truck, you can spot a few jokes saying like Nugate. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about movies like this just puts a smile on my face. Like not that I don't have any complaints. I think Sandy Newton is good as Ginger, but it does. It's a bummer that they didn't even think about bringing back the original actor because like it's fine but i can tell there's an absolute difference between the two voices for it and levi was okay like i'm not pining for mel gibson to come back to anything because screw that guy but i wish levi had a little more energy in his performance but he does a good job like considering that he's had not a great year for films. Like, this is his best role that he's had. I think what Levi brings to the role is now Rocky is, like, he's, like, the dad. He gets to inject some of that, like, goofy dad personality to the role. All the actors, like, new or brought back, do a good job with their roles. Just a great movie. Like, fun from start to finish. Like I said, casting aside, I wish... Frizzle had a little more time to shine before she gets collared by scientists and such. 
like outside of that, uh, complaints and criticisms I have are very nitpicky. There's not too much else to really talk about. I think they did a good job overall with the story. They continued it. They didn't really rehash anything outside of the villain. But technically, we never saw that villain die, so. I was going to ask, like, when you heard at first that Tweety was coming back, were you surprised or was it just like, oh, yeah, no, of course she'd be back? I was a little mixed. I was just like, I wish we had a new villain. But Tweety is so sinister and entertaining as a villain. I was fine with it. It's the whole Boba Fett situation. Even though before we realized that he was going to be back, people were like, I didn't see a body. That means he's not dead. (laughs) No body, no death. (laughs) Exactly. And here it's just like, granted, falling from sky high into your pot pie making machine and then the door from the barn falling onto you should kill you. But, you know, it's cartoon logic. This movie's comedy is very Looney Tunes inspired, which just makes it all the funnier. Like, I was fine with it. I'm glad that she came back, if only because no other Ardman villain or even DreamWorks villain is as sinister as Mrs. Tweety. Their villains range very wildly between sinister and comedic. There's... The villain from the Pirates movie that they made, which she was the queen, but she was fine. Nothing all too entertaining, but it's been a while since I've seen that movie. We might have to talk about it at one point again. Or like the Curse of the Were-Rabbit, the villain played by Ray Fiennes. He was fine, just kind of a rich snob, though the toupee joke is always going to get me. I think that joke is hilarious. And then there's, oh, the villain from Early Man, who is voiced by Tom Hiddleston. I think he's funnier than threatening. Mrs. Tweety definitely leans more on the threatening side, but she can also be very funny. I like her dynamic with Dr. Fry and how she's just like, it's not just the fact that he has a big inheritance and has a a genius intellect and went to Harvard mastering in all things robotic and science and mind control and then fry is like and drama it's so interesting and impressive how ardman when they craft these worlds and these characters make it look so easy to do it's like with miyazaki how do they keep doing this and it's like yeah we make interesting characters and then keep the humor broad and universal of like what you would find as funny They don't try to make it super niche or try to add more modern sense of humor. It's funny because it's funny. Really what makes Ardman stand out is they have that broad sense of humor, like you just said. And sometimes sometimes they will do sort of style parodies, and that's what the Chicken Run movies are. It's nothing too specific. Say you're someone younger who hasn't seen any of the Mission Impossible movies or hasn't really dipped their toe into like the espionage genre, you can still enjoy this just on its own merits. That's what makes Ardman so fun. They find humor in the most approachable way of for creature comforts. They just record people talking about random subjects 
and then they say like what kind of animal would make this funny there's this one about swimming and they they animated a shark saying i really hate swimming in deep water like the visual joke of that alone is really funny they just do a good job (laughs) with what they do here it's it's like there's a reason why Ardman is one of my favorite studios. On top of the fact that they just take care of their employees, unlike other studios, their films aren't coming out every year. They feel special when they come out. And I know a lot of people really want to see these films in theaters. I'm sorry, you should have gone and seen them in theaters then. I mean, part of it is also the fact that Lionsgate and the other distributors screwed up with with their stop-motion releases. I'm sorry that none of y'all went to see Kubo or anything from Laika past Coraline. I'm sorry that y'all didn't go see Shaun the Sheep or Early Man, but they're going to be with Netflix until otherwise, until either Netflix says, like, fine, we will start doing more traditional theatrical releases. That means that when they show up on Netflix, you just have to watch them on Netflix. I'm sorry, but that's how things are until we get another stop-motion film that actually does well at the box office. Although I will say, nothing would make me happier than to see the next Wallace and Gromit movie get a theatrical release, just like Del Toro's Pinocchio did, because... I think people might show up for that. Hopefully they would this time because it's interesting to see right now with what's going on with the world of the theatrical release scene of what's doing well, what's not, and what are the big surprises like how Godzilla Minus One and The Boy and the Heron are doing really well for what they are. And seeing people not really show up for big tentpole releases anymore. Chicken Run Dawn on a Nugget, while having to follow up an incredible stop-motion comedy from 23 years ago, still holds its own against the legacy that was brought with that first film. Chicken Run was Ardman's first feature-length theatrical film, because that's when they teamed up with DreamWorks to make movies that got wide releases and, in some cases, award wins. Give it a watch. I know a lot of people already watching it, but do watch Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget. It's super fun. I think it has something for everyone to love. Ardman makes kind of the best movies for families, and this one is certainly no exception. And now, since this will probably be our possible last episode of the year... We're going to end on a Christmas special. And I was kind of thinking we weren't going to have an animated Christmas film to talk about or a special because I thought the bad guys Christmas special was okay. They weren't going to make the special look just like the movie. They probably did not have a lot of time or money to make it work as well as people wanted to. But I was happy to see that Amazon and MGM were interested in bringing out Merry Little Batman because who knows what's going on with Warner Brothers Discovery and Zaslav because I think they just screwed up with this, man. (laughs) 
This Christmas, Damian Wayne wants to be a superhero like his dad, the one and only Batman, who's voiced in this special by Luke Wilson. When Damien is left home alone while Batman takes on Gotham's worst supervillains on Christmas, Eve, he stumbles upon a villainous plot to steal Christmas and leaps at the chance to save the day. I remember when the first image for this special came out, a lot of people were, for one reason or another, unimpressed by it because of the image at hand. And listen, I know not everyone likes the same art style, but we gotta stop making first impressions on one image. Because we didn't know what this was going to look like in motion. And then when everyone saw it in motion, everyone was like, wow, this looks great. And it's like, you weren't saying that a few months ago. I'm just saying. This happens almost every single time where a static image gets like a bad first impression. But then once you actually see the product, it's like, oh. No, that actually looks pretty good. And I love the storybook, old school Christmassy vibe that this special brings to the table. I think it captures that visual look perfectly. The fun thing about Batman is very much like Godzilla. Batman is moldable for every kind of audience goer and viewer you have your super adult and dark storylines you have your young adult and teen stories and shows and then you got ones for kids do you know how hard that is to make a character that is so malleable that he could reach a wide audience they're rare there's only like a handful of characters that successfully translate into multiple demographics but somehow batman's one of them exactly and i love luke wilson as batman slash bruce wayne i think he brings this laid-back charm to the character like he's imposing and threatening but he's more like your quirky dad who just happens to be a crime-fighting superhero he's basically your stereotypical overprotective dad I like how he doesn't really try to put on a Batman voice. It's just Luke Wilson. Yeah, I mean, like, and say what you will about actors who just own voices without, you know, dipping into doing something different. I mean, yeah, we talked about that with, oh, what's his name for Boy and the Heron, who plays the Heron? Uh, Robert uh, Pattinson. But sometimes you just want to have a charming enough voice to do all of this. I also enjoyed James Cromwell as Alfred Pennyworth. Y'all would know him from Big Hero 6. He's also, you know, the farmer from Babe. Like, he brings a warmth and coziness to Alf and a very slick British wit to this incarnation of the butler. I think out of all the Batman characters and all their different iterations, Alfred has always been the most consistent. Oh, yeah. Very passive-aggressive towards Batman and his broodiness. Jonas, I love his take on Damien because I was getting a little sick and tired of every single Damien that we see being this obnoxious little edgelord. Like, I know that's the fault of, like, Justice League versus the Teen Titans and every other incarnation of Damien. I know Damien is meant to be this cocky little spitfire of a character, but after a while, you want to see something a little different from him. And Jonas brings the annoying 
and cockiness of Damien to a more appealing level. I love Damien's back and forth with Alfred about the hot cocoa and when they don't have marshmallows, how he's crying, but then he takes a look at Alfred before crying even harder to fool him. <laughs> like this movie is also very funny, super funny. And I wasn't expecting that. I didn't quite know what to expect from this outside of a more family-friendly Batman adventure. But the humor of this reminds me of a lot of how Jellystone handles its humor. Like there's a little chaos, a bit of wit, and a lot of well-placed dialogue jokes. Like how Terry, one of the henchmen for Joker, and Terry is voiced by Michael Fielding. It's just like, what? Is it a crime to video record your crimes? Even though, you know, you shouldn't be doing that anyway. But I digress. Because <laughs> <laughs> we see that happen a lot in real life. And it's just like, y'all are just asking to be caught. Exactly. And Terry and Francine, the henchman, with Francine voiced by Natalie Palomides, they have a very good Jesse and James of, from Team Rocket back and forward with them. Yeah, that's actually a really good comparison. Like, she's the cocky, confident one who, by the way, y'all would know Natalie from Tiny Toons Luniversity, where she voices Shirley the Loon, or young Ida from the Owl House, or the Powerpuff Girls reboot from 2013 as Buttercup. I love some of the dialogue jokes in this special i know you have one that you told me that you really love so i'll let you talk about that one but mine is when batman gets a call from the bat phone and he's like so the wonder twins can't do it they're fighting well can't you tell them to put their powers together and form a functioning adult (laughs) like brutal man there's a scene where damien is trying to get his belt back and causes a bit of commotion in Gotham. We cut to a a newsreel where the reporter says, we now go live to a concerned citizen. I'm concerned. (laughs) Yeah, that's Vicky Vale, voiced by Cynthia McWilliams. And there are so many good lines of dialogue, like when the Joker shows up and he's voiced by David Hornsby and how he bickers back and forth with Damien. And he's saying like, And don't say infinity times one, because I could do this all day. Like, I could go on forever. And the penguin goes, six weeks is his record. (laughs) Like, to imply that the Joker has gone, nah-huh, yah-huh, nah-uh, yah-huh, for six weeks straight is such a funny image to me, but also absolutely fitting for a troll like the Joker. Like, I like this iteration of the joker he finds a good balance between threatening but also very funny and kind of pathetic too but in a comedic sense i love the joke when damien throws his utility belt full of explosives into the fireplace at the end of the movie and the joker's like all right who gave him explosives all the villains raise their hands and he's just like well then and then he raises his it was a good idea of what i (laughs) When I was thinking about it. (laughs) And something that was interesting about this movie was how they actually let time pass since Damien's existence to now during the current day 
after Batman literally cleaned up Gotham to be the safest place on Earth, which was a great little montage. I like that too. Very easy explanation for why Damien is introduced to a Gotham with no crime. The other villains that are in this special include Poison Ivy, voiced by Therese McLaughlin, The Penguin, voiced by Brian George, and Bane, voiced by Chris Sullivan, with minor appearances from Scarecrow and the Riddler. Though I think my favorite one, Mr. Freeze, voiced by Dolph Adomian. Everyone is old, but I love the visual touch-up of Mr. Freeze having a vacation hat on under his dome helmet and a Hawaiian t-shirt on. Like, basically, he retired Florida, essentially. I think Poison Ivy was a lot of fun. Bane is great where you don't hear a single word from Bane. He just kind of does grunts and mumbles and such. But every character can understand him. I love characters like that. They don't have any dialogue, but like you said, everyone can understand him just fine. Even though he was not shown a lot in this special, Commissioner Gordon is great for what little time he has. Where I love when the cop comes back in and is like, oh yeah, the police officer voiced by Isaac Robinson Smith. It's just like, Commissioner Gordon, there's chaos afoot outside. And Gordon's just like, oh, it can't be that bad. He pulls up the blinds and the whole city's just on fire. And then he pulls it down. It's like, well, this is why we had the bat signal. And he presses it because without obviously knowing what's going on. And then he just leans back in his chair and it's like, thank God we got that mess dealt with. And it's just like, wow, this movie has some things to say about cops. <laughs> and the animation, I love these cartoony designs. They move in a way that is so satisfying to watch. Like it's a mix of like fluid, cartoony, and stylized movements like the joker probably has some of my favorite little movements of how he maneuvers around the room mm-hmm. but there's also just fun little moments and physical gags here and there from the other villains like oh man i love mr freeze trying to come up with a good ice pun to because batman keeps being like you know you're not really on your a game anymore for your ice puns and then he's just like throughout the whole thing he's like oh how about this? And then he does the ice pun, and it's still groan-inducing because puns can be funny, but they are also groan-inducing. <laughs> I do like, though, how you can even get a lot of humor out of the fact that everyone knows that puns are groan-inducing. So it just, the puns just keep getting, like, progressively worse. There's a lot of, like, fun, appealing designs throughout this whole movie. Like, there's, for some reason, a a cameo from Carmen Infantino. One of the editors at DC for like for a lot of the 50s and early 60s. This movie is full of so much personality where they could have easily made a parody of Bruce Timm's style or Batman Beyond or, Bra- or just done a Brave and a Bold or use the current DC film output art style. But they didn't. They went in a wildly different direction. And I found that the visual designs are appealing i do not find this ugly to look at because there's like a consistency with the designs and the world around them it doesn't feel like 
any of these characters are out of place. That's what I like about it, how it is very much in its own little world. All of these characters, they're very exaggerated versions of sort of the classic iterations, but they all still have, like, at least, like, the core characteristics. Like, Bruce Wayne is kind of an overprotective parent because, because at least one thing he wants to give Damien is the thing he never had growing up, which is a childhood. Even though this movie does a great job of capturing that spirit and energy of Batman, including like the environmental art and how big and gothic and grandiose Gotham is, it has a lot of heart. And even though, yeah, the overprotective parent trope is tiring, it makes more sense here. And at the very least, Batman is constantly shown to be in the wrong at points. Like, mm-hmm. when he's leaving to take care of this snowstorm. I love that joke where it's just like, there's nothing wrong here. It's just another typical snowstorm in Nova Scotia. Alfred is just like, so, I guess the razor that was left on your bathroom sink was not there for you. It's like, what? I love this beard. Works on my intimidation game. You have donut crumbs in your intimidation game. <laughs> it captures the heart and spirit of Batman, even though it's for a mostly family audience with a more comedy slant towards the action, the storytelling, and the writing. But you still feel it's Batman. It's not like this is a case of, oh, they slapped Batman onto a totally random IP to sell this more. It's Batman, which is like the whole thing with Godzilla. Godzilla can be imposing and dangerous but also you can watch him fight monsters and whatever they get batman and it's just a fun special i was shocked to know that it was a 90 minute special i thought it was going to be like an hour or 30 minutes this is supposed to be leading into like a tv series called bat family if this is supposed to lean into it and this is just a taste of what we are supposed to expect so be it I mean, if Bat Family does something entirely different, I'm down for that. Because, again, your Batman is flexible. You can do whatever you want with the character. And I don't really have that many complaints. Maybe it takes a little too long to get to the other villains. Like, we start out very much with the Home Alone, but with the crooks being stuck there with Damien for the first 30 or so minutes. But, yeah, sir. Some of the jokes are a little more modern and improvish, like how Luke and Jonas work off of each other when they're like, Joker fell into the goop. You know, how many more times is he going to fall in there? He knows what's going to happen. Man, I just like having stuff like this to talk about animation. Just something full of so much passion and creativity and fun. Obviously, this team was given a lot of time to cook this special and whatever nitpicks I have are outweighed by how much of a smile I had on my face watching it from beginning to end. I agree with that. Like, part of me could, could like, rip this apart as, as a diehard Batman. I could rip into a bunch of pedantic details, but at the end of the day, it gets the heart of what makes these characters so great. And... Usually the best Batman stories are the ones 
that A, have a very strong emotional core, and B, prove that Bruce isn't always right about everything. You can make a joke about that. We've seen that so many times where Batman gets punched down a few pegs because he thinks he's right all the time. Yep. I'd highly recommend watching this. It's one of those new Christmas specials that everyone should watch. Not just a Christmas episode of Batman, but a full-blown special. Man, this is why I like making this podcast. We get to talk about fun stuff like this, or the Godspeed pilot, or Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget. It shows when you're not being a miserable little toad about the animation landscape that you know nothing about, you can find a lot of joy and wondrous things that are getting made by talented people that deserve better wages and better working conditions. Agreed. This episode in particular was just a lot of fun because we got to talk about a little bit of everything. Something for adults, something for little kids, and something for the entire family. And that's not going to stop anytime soon. I'm very much looking forward to what 2024 has to offer in animation and we will definitely talk about what's coming in the near future soon but for now i hope you guys all have a very merry christmas and a happy new year and until next time cameron where can everyone find you online you can find me on twitter and blue sky at cam's eye view i have my own website called cam's where i review animated films and shows from around the world called the other side of animation i also have a patreon at patreon.com slash cam's view that's where you can find me and i hope y'all have a very happy holidays and you guys can find me on various social media at captain k42 you can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash coach k42 and you can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and that place at Red Pop Culture. You can also find us on YouTube, Podchaser. Support our Patreon at patreon.com slash renegade pop culture. Listen to all of our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. Need escape? So do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.